Hello, world, universe, earth, planet, planet, earth, everybody, everybody that tunes in and listens. Hello. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast for the universe. If you're a new listener, we get new listeners all the time. I'm always amazed at how um, I've been doing the show for over a year now, and I'm just continually flabbergasted at all the wonderful guests that we have first off and all the amazing people out there that are tuning in. If you're new and you just found our show, do me a favor and go subscribe. If you listen on iTunes, go leave us a rate and review. Go to our Facebook page. That's a great place to keep up to date with everything that we do at the podcast. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Let me know what you think of the show, what you think of our guests, what you'd like to hear more of, what you'd like to hear less of. And as always, energyislovepodcast.com. Find everything at our website. This episode is brought to you by our amazing sponsor, As Above, So Below. As Above, So Below is a kick-ass little metaphysical shop located here in Roy, Utah. If you live here locally, go check them out. You can find them on Facebook. You can also find them through our website. Just click on the Sponsors tab, and they're right at the top, As Above, So Below. If you're into spirituality and the metaphysical side of life and all the wonderful things that it has to offer, you can find it all at As Above, So Below. Incense, rocks, crystals, jewelry, clothing, books, tarot cards, like I said, anything and everything. They also host events on a regular basis, so it's a great way to expand your mind. It's a great way to expand your energy, your soul, your chi, whatever you want to refer to it as. But go check them out. Go show them some love. Go find them on Facebook, as above, so below. And then next time you pop in to the shop, make sure you let them know that you heard about them on the Energy is Love podcast. This episode is also brought to you by Essential Oil Accessories. So if you're the type of person that has started to incorporate essential oils into your daily life, which a lot of our listeners I'm sure do, go to their website, essentialoilaccessories.com, and you'll be able to find everything that you need to help and aid you in incorporating it all into your life, into your daily life. Things like necklace diffusers, bracelets, wonderful cases to store all of your essential oils in, big diffusers, put them up in your house, in your bedroom, Uh, also the kind that you can put in your car, pretty much Everything that you would need to start to use, incorporate, and reap the benefits of essential oils. You can also find them from our website on the Sponsors tab, but remember it, go to EssentialOilAccessories.com. If you remember a while back, I had an episode with Nicole O'Brien. She's a principal of a local elementary school here in Utah. That episode was not just fun and entertaining for me, but also I think it was incredibly thought-provoking, educational, uh, just loads and loads and loads of great information. So Nicole came on the podcast again, and this time she brought some people with her. So we had Nicole and Robin Rain and Rose Yazzie. So Robin is the school counselor at the elementary school that Nicole is the principal of, and Rose is a teacher. So all three of them sat down on the podcast, and we got even deeper into all the different things in regards to the grump meter. If you remember the episode back with Nicole, we talked a lot about the grump meter which they use at Rose Park Elementary to help students recognize, cope, deal, manage, express, communicate, emotion. So we talked more about that, but then we also talked a lot about education as a whole, some of the different things that they face as educators. And at the end of the day, all the information that we kind of covered and talked about is hopefully beneficial for you, the listener, because it's going to help you be a better parent, I think. It's going to help you be a better person overall in general, because everything is applicable to not just kids, but also us as adults. I had a wonderful time 
some amazing ladies with great insight and great information. And I loved the opportunity to get to share it with all of you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this wonderful episode with Nicole, Robin, and Rose. Here we go. You're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is the love podcast. The Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is Love podcast. The podcast for the universe. The Energy is Love podcast. Okay, that's it. Now we're ready. Super exciting, right? <laughs> There's no big grand ta-da introduction or anything like that. But Nicole, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate First off, coming on the episode, however long ago it was, I don't remember. We can just, like you said, probably about six or eight weeks ago. I absolutely loved getting to meet you. And it was a beautiful, wonderful episode. And we covered it bunch of great topics. <laughs> I'm glad you reached out to me too. Yeah. Just, it was great. Yeah. So I'm excited. Now we're back and we've got two more guests joining us. So I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to introduce yourselves first and foremost, just so that way people have an idea of who the heck they're talking to. Mm-hmm. So Robin, if you wouldn't mind going first. Okay. Um, I'm Robin Rain and I'm the school counselor here at Rose Park. I've been here for I think 11 years and I have a background in early childhood development that helps me a lot in my work um, and in school counseling. So it's it's a great place to be. How long have you, you said you've been here at uh, Rose Park for 11 mm-hmm. years. How long have you been in the education system as a whole kind of? About 32 years. <laughs> Did you start out <laughs> as a teacher and everything like that? I started out in the Head Start program. Really? Yeah, teaching in the Head Start program, drove the bus, uh, family advocate, and worked my way through there and um, Eventually went into counseling. Did you work? Did you work here in the local heads, like in uh, Salt Lake County? For I did work for one summer up in Ogden. Yeah. And for their Head Start program, and that was really my favorite teaching experience and a great way to end it. <laughs> uh, and then I switched fields because um, I was working on my graduate degree and got into school counseling. My mom has spent pretty much her entire career in Head Start. Oh. Yeah, she started out as a classroom teacher. I think she started out as a, uh, not a sub, but like an assistant teacher mm-hmm. back in the day and then just continually progressed throughout. And now she's she still works for Salt Lake uh, Head Start. I think it's called CAP, Salt Lake CAP. I don't remember yeah. what it is. but I might know your mom. <laughs> you probably do. <laughs> she used to work, have her office just over there, the um, whatever the heck their school is that's really, really close by. The Shrivers. It's like two blocks. Oh no, that Madison. Way. Is it oh, Madison? Oh yes. Whichever one is up the Larry, street and over. Larry Matheson. 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 That's yeah, what it is. Okay. Well, great. Okay, Rose. Give us your spill. Uh Rose Yazi Anishia, Hush Klishni Anishia, Nakai Bashishtin, Tachitni Dashiche, Nakai Dashinele. Um, so my name is Rose Yazi. I just introduced myself uh, traditionally with my clans. I'm Dene from Denahotsa, Arizona. Um, and then I grew up here in West Valley, and I teach fourth grade here at Rose Park. And uh, this will be my fourth year starting this year. Um, and I just graduated from the University of Utah with a master's in education, culture, and society. So uh, doing a lot with looking and examining schools and curriculum for kids. Rose, what's your last name? Uh, Yazi. Yazi. Mm-hmm. So tell me what what language you just spoke, what tribe you're from. You said you're originally from Arizona. Mm-hmm. What the heck it is that you just said? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm Diné, which is, na- uh, in English, it's Navajo. 
Um, and so the language I was speaking, I'm working on like learning Navajo because it's part of the long history of schools <laughs> in, in the U.S., you know, um, relearning languages and kind of the cultures that come with it. So that's something that I always like introduce myself with because I think it is super important to like reclaim those identities and like that knowledge. And you've been teaching here, you said, for four years? Um, so I actually um, started teaching. I was teaching on the reservation, so Monument Valley area. And then I came here last year. Um, and this will be my second year at Rose Park. How different is the, I guess, the experience of teaching from like a reservation as opposed to a public school here? Um, I think one of the big differences was on the reservation, it was... I was I had the same culture as all of my students. Mm -hmm. My classroom was 100% Navajo. Um, my first year and then my second year was like 99% Navajo. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really um, it was really easy to like incorporate those like that I, those ideas and parts of our culture in our curriculum and like I could say things like hey we're like that's your little brother or that's your grandma like you can't talk to them like that. So it kind of made things easier down there. Um, but up here. Uh, those same things have transferred really well, <laughs> um, but I was just a little bit more explaining. Like I had one student, um, I don't know if you guys remember Eli. <laughs> um, so he was my one my one percent Navajo student, <laughs> um, and he, he we found out like we were related through our clans. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what I introduced earlier. So my uh, my clan, I'm Mud Clan. And then um, from my paternal side, I'm Mexican from Guanajuato. And then back to my maternal grandparents' side, I'm um, red running into water clan. So we actually found out that we're related. Like, we have similar clans. And so I was his grandma. Wow. And wow. so then the next day he was like, hey, Miss Yazzie. Or, he, like, everyone was, like, saying hi. Good morning, good morning. And he's like, good morning, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of the kids are like, uh, Eli, you can't call her grandma. <laughs> And so then we kind of like sat down and explained it and they were like, oh, and so those kind of ideas with Ex like, how, how are, like, how are you considered his grandma? Explain it to me. Um, so my clan, uh, the red running into water clan is related to one of his clans. Um, so it would make me his grandma because his grandma has that clan too. So since we have similar clans, we're mm -hmm. basically like the same family. Mm -hmm. So anyone that's like mud clan would be like my mom or like an aunt or like a sister, just depending on their age. Um, so the mo like the family was like, oh, that's your grandma. <laughs> <laughs> so um, those ideas, being able to then like talk about it with my class and kind of everyone building this knowledge together, like, oh, okay, you guys are like actually related through your clans, kind of the same way we're related through like the like our neighborhood or mm -hmm. we're related through like we're all in the same class so those kind of ideas just kind of built up through the year um so and that's yeah it's really just cool and amazing for like little humans to be doing this it's way cool mm -hmm. thank you very much ladies for taking the time as well i really appreciate you guys um spending your saturday morning here it's very very nice for me nicole so with our last episode and all the things that we talked about, is there anything that, um, first off, what were kind of your, did you take away anything from the experience that you kind of wanted to touch on? Or is there anything that jumps out initially that you want to talk about? Um, I know we're going to get into a lot of different things, but 
I just wanted, you know, like I said, if there's anything that you kind of, <laughs> there doesn't have to be either. You could be like, I don't remember what the hell we talked about. No, but. <laughs> I do remember. We talked about a lot though. Mm -hmm. um, really, it's interesting because time passes and what's on my mind right now is how, I may not do a good job of articulating this. Um, we've done a good job here, I believe, in introducing um, emotional self-awareness and even doing a lot with regulation. And what I'd love to see moving forward, in addition to more teaching like Rose's, which it may not be possible because Rose, as a person of color, brings something that no one else can bring that's unique. But I also want to see us helping our kids become more independently resilient. So a comment was made to me recently where, yes, it's so great to offer all these supports for students, but I want to be more strategic and thoughtful about the transfer of that so that when our students leave us or when they're not with us, they're capable of, you know, employing those skill sets outside of school. And it's hard to know to what degree that actually happens because we don't see our kids a lot outside of school. But I think we can do, we can kind of, that's the next step for us. I don't know if that's very clear no, to it's you. Very, but it's clear to me. So I, yeah. I mean, I think it's a big step, right? Because you think about anybody, not just kids, but people that, you know, we wear different hats, we put on different things. And so obviously kids come to school and they understand that they have a different set of rules here and a different way that they have to behave and act and process and move through, you know, this experience of when they're at school and then they go home and it's a different thing. And then when they're hanging out with their friends, it's a different thing. And but I think if you could find a way to really instill um, some kind of core, not beliefs, but some core um, skill sets where they can take that and incorporate it into all the different areas of their life, all the different hats that they have to put on so that when they do face, you know, situations and experiences and different things throughout their life, you know, not even when they're in school, but the beautiful thing is it can carry on forever. Mm -hmm. Um, what in the, like, how are you going to even begin to, cause you know what I mean? Like, I think that there's a way to, like I said, get them squared away in regards to how they have to behave and process and function here at school and in this environment. But then how do you instill in them that skill set to take it onward and outside of this environment? Good question. <laughs> I'm doing some reading this summer specifically related to that, but I think about it being, um, something they encounter every year with everyone. I mean, that's a pie in the sky, right? Maybe, you know, but every adult. And I, I may have mentioned this before, but since Rose is sitting right by me, I think about a way to do that. For example, the it, this past winter, her kids were out at recess and they were, if I tell the story wrong, tell me, okay? Maybe you should tell the story because it's your story. <laughs> so let's have Rose tell the story. And, and this is an example this is when you had to make the video and stuff oh, okay. of how um, she approached a situation that was an accident, but escalated in anger and a fight in a way that I th think is what we're talking about embedding a skill in a way of thinking that the kids could take somewhere else. So I'll let her tell the story. Uh, okay. So it was, it was Christmas time. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was right, kind of right before our winter break. So kids kind of get like anxious around that time. Mm -hmm. Like adults get anxious around that time. And like, so the kids totally just pick up on it. 
Um, so I had my two students, um, and like they had been really good friends throughout this, like the beginning part of the year. Um, and then I kind of picked them up from lunch, and I just heard like this and this person were fighting. Like all the kids were like, Missy Ozzy, they were fighting, they were fighting, there was a fight, there was a fight, there was a fight. <laughs> like <laughs> 10 different people, right? Um, so then I took the rest, I took the class up and kind of had them. Um, we have like a calming corner in the class. So I had one student sit there and then we, I have like a portable calming kit and the other student took that one. So they were kind of separate. And I just told them that I wanted them to calm down, get back to blue. Um, the Do I need to explain the grunt meter? No. Well, we could touch on it real quick. Okay. So the grunt meter is something we use to kind of check in emotionally, like where we're at and like the intensity of our feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, so both of them were like, well, I'm like angry and I'm red, I'm red angry. I'm like, okay, take a break until you get back to blue. So red means it's like a really high intensity and then it drops to like orange is less yellow then green. And then blue is like that calm, like I can, I can function. Um, so once they were both back to blue, um, I met them outside of the classroom. So I had the rest of the class like working on something and I pulled them and we talked about like what happened. And so when we have those conversations, I usually have them start with like I messages. So that way it's not less like this is officially what happened. This is like the one truth. Cause that's, that's something I think that triggers a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so they both kind of like, well, I felt really mad cause I got pushed. And then the other one was like, I felt angry because it was my turn. And so like, okay, start from the beginning. And so they started kind of talking through it and, um, it sounded like to me that, like Nicole said, it was like an accident. They were sliding down the little slippery slope thing that they made. And it was like somebody's turn, but then the other kid went, but he only went because he slipped and fell. And so then the other kid was like, it was my turn. <laughs> and then <laughs> the other kid was mm-hmm. like angry because he fell and he like got hurt. And then the other kid was like in his face. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I got them to kind of recount the story, but the details were still kind of blurry. And then I, I, we had to stop and I was like, okay, there is something we need to solve though. Like, I'm glad we're talking about it, but we do need to solve. There was a problem that needs to get solved. And they were like, yeah, we know. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, what do you guys think the problem was? And they were like, we were fighting. I'm like, okay, so how do we solve that problem? And they were like, oh suspension (laughs) and I was like why do you guys want me to suspend you and so then we started talking through that and I was like okay well if I just suspend you that doesn't solve anything like you guys will come back to school and you'll still be angry with each other right and then this might happen again so what can we do to solve it that will make sure both of you feel okay with what happened and you know for the next time how to solve it better instead of just fighting so then they kind of just sat there. And then my one student, um, he's just he's just like really quiet. And then all of a sudden he's like, let's make a video. <laughs> and I was like, okay, tell me more about this video. And then the other student's like, yeah, yeah, let's make a tutorial. <laughs> so they're like on their like YouTube vibes. Um, so they ended up making a video reenacting their fight. And then they were like, let's do the reenactment and then like a redo of like what should have happened. So they actually like reenacted it. And that was the funniest thing ever. They were like slow motion falling. (laughs) 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 And then they did a reenactment where they were like, oh, I'm sorry, Eli. It was my turn. 
I'm sorry, Afu, are you okay? I saw you fall. <laughs> so, <laughs> and like the next time, like the next day, they were just like best friends again. So that relationship was like healed. And I'm pretty, like, I felt pretty confident that if they had something like that happen again, that they would like know, oh yeah, we're supposed to take a break and then make sure they're okay, make sure I'm okay. And they came up with it on their own. That's what like, cool. I think uh, one of the things that Rose brings up in this description is... Uh, Slide just to the left. There you go. Okay. Is the beauty that can happen when you do things through a restorative way uh, versus what happens if someone just goes through the traditional punitive measures. You're suspended. You're both suspended. You both agree. We'll see you in two days. And what we find when we don't go through the process with the kids of what happened, how did we get here, uh, what were the feelings you were having, what color were you on the grunt meter, what were you thinking, and helping them to sort all that and communicate with each other, like, that really pissed me off when you <laughs> da 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 well, you shoved me in the gut when you did that, oh, I didn't know that. And you sort through all those details kids are processing that's healing the relationship. And so now you're building trust with those two students. So instead of having a broken relationship where that's severed, but yet they're still in the same class for the rest of the year for mm -hmm. six months, where there's always those feelings of, yeah, you know, this, you know, wasn't fair. Yeah, they always go back to it. Yeah. And that's huge for kids. So now we're into building relationships and they're trusting each other. They're learning how to communicate and that builds the whole classroom community. I also liked, cause you said that you had them start out with I messages. So they're talking about how they felt and the, you know, the, what they directly experienced as opposed to telling their story of what happened. And I think that's huge because so many times, I mean, it's, I mean, I do the exact same thing. It's everywhere where we have a completely different recollection of what happened. We can sit here and we'll do this podcast for the next hour or so, and then we'll walk away from it and we'll all go home and talk to somebody about it. And we're going to describe different events and different experience. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And so even though we all sat in on the exact same experience, it's going to have four different interpretations of that experience. Mm -hmm. And when you're dealing with kids, because I see it with my own kids, where they very much think that's exactly what happened because that's yes. their perception of it. And even sometimes you can see what happens. Like maybe you're in the, you know, outside with them at recess and you can physically watch and see what happened, mm -hmm. but they tell you something completely different. You're like, no, you're lying. <laughs> but the reality is that's what happened for them. That mm -hmm. was their perception, that experience. And then they get those two opposing, you know, experiences and those two opposing viewpoints. And then they build that animosity and, you know, they're lying and they're lying to you and they go back and forth. And so I think that whole concept of starting with, you know, that I message and what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and how I think that's so, so important. Well, another message that I like to share with kids before we do like a restorative practice is you all have your truth about what happened. And what we're going to find today, we're going to discover more of the truth as we listen to each other and learn about what each of your experiences are. So the truth, we don't really know the whole truth and we may never know the whole truth, but we may not know 
the whole truth or the truth of this event until we discover it today. As we listen to each other and turn on our caring hearts and think about what's being said, um, then we'll discover that. One of the criticisms of this kind of practice in a school is, you know, it takes away from teaching time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for Rose to step out into the hall, she, and, and for that not to take away from teaching, she has to have a class that is able to work independently, mm -hmm. which she did, but still it took, they went and made a video, right? So there are criticisms of that, which I, you know, shoot down immediately as, this kind of work is creating a whole child and it is creating conditions where learning still will happen because if that didn't happen, would the two kids really be learning or focusing or would they be sitting there dwelling on it, totally shut down from learning the rest of the class wondering what consequence are they going to get? I mean, cause the kids are so dramatic. <laughs> um, and having, so having said that it's interesting and you guys can chime in on this, uh, <laughs> Now that kids know here that they're going to be heard and listened to, uh, sometimes the pendulum swings a little too far. <laughs> so we have a, you know, a, a, some students who I don't want to say take advantage of it, but for lack of a better word, I would. And everything's a trauma, and everything's a drama. And someone looks at you funny across the room. So I need to go see Miss Rain to process that. So I suppose to back to my original hope for next year with the students is part of that is being able to go to that next step to really help the kids understand if someone looks at you funny across the room, this is something you can manage on your own. You don't need to go talk to the counselor or the principal. You have calming strategies. You can refocus on your work um, and, and keep moving on. So we have some pretty funny stories of some reports that came <laughs> in, you know, like, I need to see Miss Rain. I need to talk to Miss O'Brien. This is so important. And you don't want to downplay the importance, but it does become obvious at a certain point that some of it is it's a little excessive. So we've got to find, I mean, we're learning to find that balance in the middle. And we have a, I have a teacher who said, you know, I've created, I want to reflect it right. He's sixth grade. So lots of drama, lots of hormones, lots of, um, especially for, for our students, a lot of worry as the year starts to wind down because they're leaving the crib essentially, you yeah. know, they've been here for years and they're going off to the unknown and this is their safe place. And so that tends to result in, um, some maybe aggressive or different behaviors that are really just um, from that fear, that unknown. So finally, he had so much drama that he created this little way for the kids to leave him a note. Like if you're really having, if you're if you're having a hard time, you just write me a note, and it goes in this certain place. And then he said, I'll check it. You know, as I'm rotating around checking the kids for understanding, I'll peek at the notes, and if it's something that is you know, really we decide together significant, then we'll go ahead and get you that immediate help. Otherwise you've got lunch, you've got recess, you've got these other times. And that's, that's part of that maturity and that awareness that this isn't, I'm not in immediate crisis and, and I can use these calming and, and coping strategies to refocus on my work and I can address this issue later. So that's good balance. Yeah, get... we need we we need a little more work on that, mm -hmm. um, but we're doing great. We're aware it's happening, and we're we're working toward it. Yeah. So. Is there? I want to get into a bigger, deeper discussion about trauma and the effects of trauma. Specifically, um, it's really easy to see if you're 
educated and luckily we're talking to a bunch of people that are in the education system so you guys are educated but how it affects children and how it's so easily seen like you can see the cause and effect right so you learn a little a little bit about the student and their home life and their experiences and the things that they go through and then it makes perfect sense when you look at their behavior and their actions and everything like that but is there robin maybe you can speak on it in regards to kind of what are some very stereotypical ways that you see trauma affect kids when they come to school, when they're here? Do you know what I mean? Because it, it all plays in, like you said, they can't focus, they can't learn. Mm-hmm. They, the last thing mm-hmm. they're going to be thinking about is what you're trying to teach them if they're still trying to process what happened last night or last, you know, this weekend or whatever the case may be. Or three years ago because it yeah. keeps popping up. So stereotypical ways, do you mean common ways? Yeah, yeah. Think, okay. Do you know what I mean? Things that you can kind of point to and say this is a cause and effect. Okay. Well, a uh, couple of different things, major categories is one is withdrawn and then the other is uh, excessive aggression. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are the, the two t- types of behaviors that, you know, we typically look for. And the withdrawn, the seeking inward, not connecting uh, with their teacher, their classmates, others is just as alarming or just as worrisome, mm-hmm. maybe is a better word, as those that have, <clears throat> excuse me, aggressive behavior or uh, the other thing is a change in behavior that's different for a child. And it may not be trauma, but what we do know is if we use trauma-informed practices, they work for all kids. <laughs> so maybe something happened that morning. Uh, well, I hear stories like that a lot with kids that come into school and are just devastated. Might be a little first grader that doesn't have good communication skills. And as I hear and get through the whole story, something happened at breakfast that was so upsetting to that child. And you're like, oh, Okay, well, that one is easier to work through, usually, mm-hmm. usually. But it's that type of thing, uh, withdrawing, aggressive, or a change in behavior that we haven't seen before. Do you ever see, because I think that it's also, um, do you ever see a regression where maybe you have mm-hmm. a student that you've worked with closely or that you've seen progress throughout, you know, maybe six months or the school year, and then they have a series of events and Sometimes it may be drastic and sometimes it may be mild, but it sends them backwards in a sense where their behavior then reverts back to some of the old ways of coping and managing and things like that. We see a lot of that, especially at breaks, Mm -hmm. uh, when breaks are coming up um, or something really stressful. Testing is another one. Um, And that's kind of a typical cycle for, I'm trying to think, any kid. You know, all of us, we do have a tendency to revert back to (laughs) what we know best when we're really stressed out. So, yeah, we do see that a lot. And sometimes it's a good sign uh, because it can help you be aware of, hey, we haven't seen that behavior in like three months. It's back again. And so we can do some more digging and exploring to figure out what's going on. But what was going well, what was different in that three months that we can build upon to help this support this person in the next three months or six months. That's a good way to look at it. I mean, also personally, right? I mean, when you look at your life and you feel like you are regressing in any form or fashion where you're like starting to repeat some same patterns and behaviors, take that opportunity to be like, oh, I haven't experienced this for the past six months or 
this was something, you know, this is a way of me moving through life and coping that I used to do like a year ago and I haven't done it. And now I'm angry that it's shown up again and I'm starting to do whatever it is. Um, but then you get that opportunity to look and, you know, realize, oh, wait a minute, at least for the past six months, I've been doing really good and I haven't had this behavior and how can I improve upon it? Yes, I'm, exactly. I'm curious too, when you asked Rose earlier, the difference between teaching on the reservation and here, I'm wondering if you notice differences in the way trauma manifests or is it pretty common or similar? Um, I think it's pretty similar, but I, I have a better understanding of it now at Rose Park. Um, on the reservation, um, what we were focusing on was restorative practices. Like we had like four corners counseling would come in, um, and like have host conferences at our school. So that's kind of what we were focusing on. And then coming to Rose Park, which is why I came to Rose Park, Mm. um, learning more about the trauma informed practices as kind of the like front loading I can do before we have these problems and then understanding, restorative practices as like okay we were doing all this like positive stuff at the beginning um but something still like something happened um but it's not bad like you're not a bad person so it's kind of removing the the shame from it and like so like even when students like revert 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 Mm -hmm. back yeah uh when they revert being like hey it's okay like we all do that Mm -hmm. um and kind of just focusing on on that way that was kind of the big the big difference I think I feel like I have more power now as a teacher helping my students knowing like all the practices I can do before instead of just waiting till something happens Um, I can think of a few of my kids um, on the reservation that like I'm like oh if only I had known this Um, and but even with the restorative practices like I feel like we did like those relationships were there, like they were learning, they were definitely um, using some of the practices we talked about, uh, but not in that like systematic way that I've built this year. Like I didn't have a calming corner, I had like a emergency <laughs> Lego room. <laughs> That's a good start. Yeah, and, and now I'm like, okay, we have a calming corner, there's iMessage papers in there, there's like a timer, there's, yeah, so now it's definitely... Um, and then I think that's something that's definitely needed down there too. And I still like, I have some of my teacher friends on Facebook and like checking up on my kids <laughs> and knowing that they're, they're doing similar practices down there is like really just amazing. That's good. I can think of, um, many students, but I'll pick one for example, in what we're, you're talking about where you see behavior you haven't seen for a while. Mm-hmm. So we have a little first grader, um, and he, I would consider him pretty emotionally immature. Like he seems more, more like a late pre-K student, early kindergarten student than first grader, but he was having a, a really successful year with his teacher. And, um, anyway, all of a sudden he started saying no to his teacher and I'm not going to do it and having these tantrums and leaving his room and running away and we're chasing him and we're like, this is not him. You know, I mean, I'll call him. Bob, for lack of a better word. (laughs) This is not Bob. Um, He's usually such a pleaser and so pleasant and all, and he really was daily and it was escalating um, in a way. We were baffled. We're like, what, we spending all this time chasing him around or whatever. And the teacher, you know, within those first few days is trying incentives and what's going on. And again, he's one of those students that doesn't have very good um, expressive language. He's a, 
ling- uh, an English learner. But anyway, he just is. Yeah. Anyway, so he couldn't really tell us what was going on. So somebody found out. I don't know who it was. Found out that abusive dad was back in the home. That mom had, you know, kicked him out sometime a while ago. And all of a sudden he was back. And it overnight changed his behavior to um, something that was just new new and different. Like in the past when dad had been there, because he was here for kindergarten, we had seen some of it. But it's just interesting how that trauma was reintroduced into his life. Um, domestic violence situation on a regular basis. And he, he, we didn't ever quite get it calmed down by the end of the year. You know, it was maybe the last five weeks of school that... It just, it kept going and we finally did call in mom and dad one day to pick him up because we had chased him all morning. We're just like, you got to take him home. We can't do this. And it was interesting because mom said, and both mom and dad said, well, we don't really understand why he's doing this. We give him everything he wants. And I thought, that's why he's doing it. I mean, (laughs) you know, in, in an attempt to probably offset the the trauma of the violence, mm-hmm. he gets everything he wants. And so it's just interesting as you talk about the re-traumatization, that the it's environment so it right? was over. It was literally overnight mm-hmm. that he lost all of his skills and reverted back to old behavior. And I think that really, because I mean, for, that's a perfect example, but maybe dad comes back into the situation, comes back into the home and there's not immediately anything overly traumatic. Mm-hmm. There's not immediately some sort of, do you know what I mean, event. fight or event or something mm-hmm. like that that takes place. But just his mere presence mm-hmm. and just the mere emotion surrounding all of that. And for me, coming from the aspect of where I come from, for me, it's the energy. It's the energy of dad coming mm-hmm. back into the home and the boy being such a sponge and responsive to the energy of the house and feeling all the things that aren't being said and the, do you know what I mean? The way that mom and dad move around each other and, and fake things and pretend things and kids picking up on all of that. And then him just getting pushed over that edge and reverting back to that kind of space where he was when really traumatic things did happen. And he did have to experience and see and be present in, in some of those situations. And brain, re- uh, oh, sorry to cut in, but I just, what popped into my head is that, you know, brain research shows us that if we're in fight or flight, we are not able to uh, think logically. Mm-hmm. Or and, and what I saw in this student was just constant fight or flight. Constant. Came to school in fight or flight. Stayed at school in fight or flight. And that is that is what is termed toxic stress is when you don't calm down again. I mean, all of us have fight or flight responses, right? We have triggers, whether those are from the past or we almost get hit by a car or whatever it is. But that inability to come back down out of that and to stay in constant fight or flight impacts your brain development, first of all, but also just d- develops this this toxicity. When you're talking about energy, it's toxic stress. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. We do know uh, that there's some, as we try to create a plan for a student that's had this big change in behavior, and uh, at the end of the school where we met together with the teacher and, you know, got information from the family, what can we do to support the student for the next five weeks? Um, and some of the things we know that students have been through trauma need is um, safety, connection, and assurance. That's one area. And then another area is emotional regulation. And then the other area is skill building, whether it's social skills, academic skills. So we look at those three areas to, you know, and 
in this particular case of the student you're describing, it seems like the safety area, the assurance and connection is probably the primary area. And, you know, so from there we build a plan. And whenever we can get the parents' involvement, input, honest input, because they're going through a lot too, Mm -hmm. regardless of why they're having the trauma, they're experiencing trauma most likely as well. And if we can get them involved and helping us to understand different triggers or different things that, that are going on, it goes a lot further. So parent involvement is huge, parent engagement. Yeah, and I, I, my, my guess is it's incredibly challenging. Yes. Like when you look at the broad spectrum, you probably have like 10% of parents that actively get involved and engaged, especially when it comes to parents that, you know, kids that are in those type of environments of broken homes and issues and challenges and all sorts of chaos that exists. Those parents typically aren't the ones that are going to step forward into the space of like, yes, I'll happily um, <laughs> get involved. That's another one of our goals for this year is really working on our family partnerships. And again, when I'm done, I'll have Rose share. She did home visits for all of her kids this year. Um, but I feel, and I have no like hard data to support this, but I feel our parents are beginning to trust us more. And, you know, not all of them, but... I very regularly have parents call me and say, help, this is happening at home. I don't know what to do. Can I come in and see you? And I, that is the result of intentional relationship building. And for me personally, a change in my view of my role, you know, I mean, I used to kind of have this slight annoyance when parents would want to come in and I was busy and I mean, I'm, I'm not proud to admit this. Okay. It's natural though. I mean, yeah. It's normal. And And I learned the hard way, but in a good way, um, that they just want me to be available to listen Mm -hmm. and partner with them, even when they can't ask for that. And so through, and and again, it's been a really amazing change. I have a lot of parents who have my cell phone number and they don't abuse it. And they'll just be like, they might text me at night and say, things are going on at home. Can I come and see you tomorrow? And I like that. I that I love that feeling. I, I hope that more of our parents learn to trust us and know that we're not going to judge them or because mm-hmm. like Robin said, often it's the family, the whole family needs support. Mm-hmm. So but, but maybe Rose can talk, I mean, about her home visits because they were pretty powerful. I do want to hear about because yeah. that seems crazy that you're going to go do home visits for your whole class. Did, did already. <laughs> yeah. But um. essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to take these things because you talked earlier about these kids that are kind of abusing the dynamic that you've created with the grump meter and different things like that. And the fact is that they have to realize that there's times where they can manage and cope and handle things on their own and regulate in regards to kind of the severity of the situation, right? From somebody giving them a, Mm -hmm. a, you know, a look in the lunchroom or something like that. But you're trying to do the same thing with parents and you're trying to impart the same skill set to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so you're taking, I mean, at the core, it's like you're taking this concept and this idea or this way of processing really just moving through life in a sense and trying to teach students and children about it. But then at the same time, apply those same techniques to parents and to families. Do you know what I mean? Those kind of units. 
Wouldn't it be a beautiful world if all the adults knew how to um, <laughs> regulate their own emotions? Yeah. And modeled that for kids. I mean, what you're saying is true. We're working with our students, but most adults don't have the skills. Well, that's you're, you're talking about, you know, those shoot you text at the end, of, you know, towards the end of the evening or something like that. And it's like the same thing with the kid that just has to learn how to manage that on his own rather than going to, to, to the counselor, to the teacher, to the principal to get help with it. But, I mean, it's incredibly, like we, we talked about it on the last episode, it, there's just so many overwhelming things. And so you have to take it a step at a time. Yeah. But how many how many students do you have, Rose? Um, I had 19 at the end of the school year. 19? Mm-hmm. And so did you go, to, just tell me about the home visits. Because uh, yes. I can only imagine. <laughs> um, so I think the important thing with the home visits was um, I really the researcher in me, (laughs) Um, I was using them to kind of redefine partnership, like the family school partnerships. Like it doesn't look like PTA and like all those things, you know, like my family did not look like that. Like my mom and dad worked full-time jobs. um, So there was no way like PTA was happening. Um, So when I would visit the families, it was kind of more like what Nicole was talking about, that relationship building with them and kind of um, finding the assets in the family. Um, so when we talk about like, well, how do how do we teach the families to do this? Also, um, one thing that I I like on my like philosophical side, um, one thing that I tried to do when I did the home visits was also see like the ways that the families are resilient in whatever trauma or whatever situations they're in, whether it's like my student that came to the U.S. like two weeks ago, <laughs> right, um, or like this the family that they're um, like they're behind on rent, like the ways that they're navigating those, the way that those families are, um, survive, like not just surviving, but like kicking butt, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's looking for the positive, right. Yeah. Looking for the good things that are happening. Mm-hmm. And so kind of then once I knew more about the families and, um, the, those strengths of the family, then it was easier to, to build those in the kids and kind of like, hey, like your family is doing this, this, and this. Like, you can do it too. Like, you, you, you have the power within you to like regulate this on your own. Like, be open, be truthful. Um, it's like one of our school values is uh, we are honest. I'm trying to find the paper, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's we are honest. So that was kind of the big, the big one um, with the kids. And then I would also explain the values to the families and like how we are honest also means like. I'm going to be truthful. I'm gonna, like, I'm going to show empathy and like, make sure that I'm not just like bottling things up. And so I think that kind of helped the kids understand, but also the families kind of knew like where, what I was doing in the classroom and like ways that they could jump on board too. Cause I had like one family, she came in um, and she was like really upset. Like her daughter was um, like, bu- like bullied, I guess in third grade and the things were starting to happen now in fourth grade, like at recess. So then when we came in, she was like, well, I don't know what to do with this. Like, like I, I'm not sure. So then I sat, we sat down and we like talked cause the girls were in the other, the other class. Um, so we brought that teacher out too. And we kind of just sat down and we were like, okay, well, like what ways can we do this that solves the problems? but also like makes you feel good about what's happening as a parent, <laughs> right? Because if it was some parent, like I know the parent instinct is like, my kid's in danger, my kid's tr- like in trouble, fix it now, yeah. you know, um, which is natural, right? That's part of that like resilience that we're talking about. Um, so then 
having the parent in on that little meeting and then bringing both girls in too. And like the rest of the year, we didn't have any problems. Um, and the girls, like they kind of both knew like, okay, well, well, we're getting too like too emotional with each other. We're making each other grumpy. <laughs> Let's take a break. So, and the whole thing, it was funny. It was like over a bag of Takis. <laughs> mm. Do your listeners know what Takis are? I don't know what Takis are. <laughs> They're a chip. Yeah. Chips from Mexico. A They're hot, spicy. Hot, spicy. <laughs> They're the main staple in most of our kids' diets, unfortunately. Like but 10 times better than hot Cheetos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so like starting from like that whole incident started with like a bag of talkies mm. and then it just like got bigger and bigger and bigger and then the family eventually came in and so being able to like, because she knew like, oh yeah, you guys do that at school. Like, let's see what we can do with this instead of, you know, um, I think about like the ways my mom would have handled that. <laughs> like it would have been like, go go yell at the teacher, go yell at the principal until the problem gets solved, right? And so doing the home visits really like fostered that partnership and that like trust between like me and the families. And then, um, I think gave me a better understanding because you were talking about like, what's it like on the res versus here. And I think that was one of the big differences, like going to their homes and seeing, oh, okay, shoes are off. We're going to sit on the mat. Uh, we're going to sit on the floor on the mat. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to eat with you. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and kind of seeing those differences. And because, like, I know how my family navigates through, through like, different things we've been through. Um, but then kind of getting to see the families, other families, um, that was a huge, huge thing. It was so much fun, too. Yeah. <laughs> I well, was able – oh, go ahead. And the setting is really positive, mm -hmm. too. And they know that ahead of time. I think – that helps a lot. They know you're coming and they know why you're coming. And you're coming to get to know them. Yeah. It's not because anybody's in trouble. Yeah. It's not because mm -hmm. your kid, you know, has missed a lot of school. And those are the types of visits that families are accustomed to is uh, the you're in trouble kind of visit. So even though we try not to make it look like that, it feels like that. It triggers all of, you know, negative experiences that you've had from government people or institutions. So when they know ahead of time what it's for, what we're doing, it's some people still get anxious. <laughs> ah, what are we going to do? And that's all normal. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when they, the teacher comes and she's got this beautiful smile on her face and all this positive energy and everything, it's all this uh, other positive energy starts you know, just combining together. And it's really provides a wonderful foundation for the student for the rest of the year. It's not normal though, right? Like the, the you're not required to do that as part of your job, right? No, it was, um, so again, the researcher, um, I partnered with um, Hoel Arviso, who's not here today with us. <laughs> but he's Yeah, but he's amazing um, in building these partnerships. Mm -hmm. So he's definitely someone, um, when I moved to Rose Park, like I, I made sure I was like, okay, we're, we're doing all this research, all these things that I wanted to do, but I didn't really like know or didn't have the capacity to do on my own. Um, and home visits was kind of one of the big things. Because um, on the reservation, like, Every day is a home visit, basically. <laughs> you go to the grocery store and there's like, oh, there's Jake's grandma. Oh, there's, you know, this person, that family. Like, there's the big sister. Or there's the kid. Yeah. <laughs> Sunday morning, like, pop, like Baba's on his face. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so kind of, like, coming from that 
and like seeing everyone everywhere all the time to coming to Rose Park where like I live in West Valley, my my students live here um, and kind of like, okay, how do I like rebuild that relationship or like that environment here? So home visits was something that um, it was like extra yeah, or being an overachiever. <laughs> it's worth it, though, I think. Yeah, but like it I has don't... oh, it has informed our plan for next year. So Rose's research and her work with Howell to systematically and purposefully engage families in this way supports a body of research that that's really the only way to improve, one of the only ways to improve the relationships and increase parental involvement. Mm-hmm. And a little caveat to that, it's interesting Um, And I hope I don't lose my story, but a couple of years ago, we gave a survey, it's called the KC survey, to our faculty and staff. And one of the questions, definite paraphrase, so faculty and staff took it, students took it, parents took it, and we had a really good return rate. And it was interesting because one of the questions on the parent survey is, um, are you involved in your parent, are you an active and involved parent in your child's education? And then one of the questions on the teacher survey was, to what degree do you think parents are actively involved in their students' education? And again, this is, I'd have to pull it up for exact, but the parents reported in the mid 80 percents that yes, I really am involved in my students' education and the teachers were in the mid 30s. Yeah. And so what we're, what, what this is, what Rose is doing, what we're talking about, and we've actually put it into our school improvement plan for next year with actual stipends to do home visits for teachers who are interested, we're not going to force them, is that we need to, we, the school staff, need to better understand our families because they are supporting their students. And it may not look like PTA, so teachers are like, no, they're not involved. But it's our job to figure out what that mm-hmm. cultural capitalism, what they are actually doing with their students that they perceive as being involved. And then we need to embrace that. And, and even though we'd like to see a little more reading going on at home or whatever, we're never going to be able to help our parents understand the importance of that until we're not the other, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. If we're the school and we're coming in and saying, you need to read with your kids 20 minutes a night, that invalidates everything they are doing. So So that's just one example, but through home visits, through building partnerships, through becoming a person that that family can trust, then when the teacher says, hey, you know what, I've noticed that um, my students who read at home 20 minutes a night are making a lot more growth in their reading. Let's talk about how that could look in your home. Then it's like, oh, okay you know, let's talk about that instead of, instead of the message that you're doing, that the school thinks you're doing just one more thing that mm. isn't right or, or good for their kid. And I it's, get, it's so valuable. It It is valuable. But I mean, there's that, there's that relationship and that dynamic because I have it. I've got four kids and they're all teenagers for the most part. My youngest, he's going, he's going to go into sixth grade next year. Um, but there's a lot of times where I get sick and tired of all the shit that the school sends home. Like, I'm tired of all the forms, I'm tired of all the fundraisers, I'm tired of all the homework, I'm tired of all the obligations of this and that and the other. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There comes a certain point where, I don't really care what you've got in your backpack, buddy, leave it in there (laughs) because we're not doing any of it tonight, we're not looking at any of it, I don't want to fill out anything else. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And that's 
that's not the norm, but that's something that happens. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably very common and normal. So there's same thing. There's got to be some balance in there. But that the, those numbers you threw out where parents think, you know, 80% of them are involved in some way, shape, or form. And teachers are like, no, it's like 30%. I think that's very, very accurate. Because my guess is that the vast majority of people um, are just sending kids to school and being done with it. Because we have so many other obligations and so many other things that, do you know what I mean? They can just check it off their list. Okay, my kid's at school. I've got them out the door there. Do you know what I mean? I don't have to worry about what happens there. The teachers, the principals, administration, they're the ones that are going to worry about what happens there. I don't have to pick up until until they get home from school or whatever the case may be. I have a big question that it keeps like itching at the back of my mind. Um, <clears throat> and hopefully we can pick it apart and come up with some sort of <laughs> insight into it. So these ideas and concepts that we're talking about really at the core of it, trying to get kids processing, feeling, connecting with emotion. And you mentioned earlier, Rose, that one of the, what are you guys calling the tenants here? Or what Values. One of the values. Be honest, right? And I think kids get to a certain point and kids that come from um, environments that, I mean, kids in general, but I think it's more pronounced in kids that come from broken homes and from really crappy environments they get to a point where their BS meter is really, really good. Hmm. And they no longer trust what you're telling them because they 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 know you're lying. Hmm. They know that you're sugarcoating things. They know that you're explaining things in a certain way. And I'm not talking about teachers in general, right? I mean, it's parents as well. It's society. So how do you find that balance where, because kids get to a certain point in a certain age level where we're trying to get them to understand and process emotion, but at the same time, There's a certain level of they have to understand trauma on some way, shape, and form. We can't, you know, dump it all on them where they understand the way that their brain develops and neural (laughs) pathways and all these different things that happen in experience. But then at the same time, you have to be honest and truthful with them or else you kind of lose their trust and you lose their engagement in the process and that relationship and that bond. So how do you navigate through that space? You, You teach fourth grade. So I'm sure you have some kids that are at that kind of range and at that cusp where, do you know what I mean? They they realize when they're kind of being played and yeah. where you're kind of feeding them a line in a sense, placating them. And how do you navigate through that? Uh, so I think first, like the biggest thing is like I try to model it like every day. Um, so I know like um, we'll do in the morning, we'll do like we call it inside circle, outside circle. So we'll say, like, who's on red? So anyone that's on red will come in and be like, they can choose whether they share or not, but they move physically. So they'll move in like, oh, I'm on red. So then everyone kind of knows, oh, okay, whoa, Angel's on red today. We got to, like, make sure we're, like, watching out for him. And so then, like, with things like that, every day we're kind of modeling. And then the other kids are kind of watching each other, too. Be like, oh, okay, Angel was on red, but you know what? Now he's back to blue. Like, so that's... They're, they're modeling it for each other also. So there's the beginning of the year, it's really heavy with me modeling. And we talk about things like um, I try to like break it, like decompose it for them. So like we talk about like when you're on red, you're not you. It's like the Snickers commercial. <laughs> I actually show them the Snickers commercial and we're like, you're not you when you're on red. And so then they kind of know like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So should I be like doing things when I'm on red? Should I be like around people if I'm on red? They're like, <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good idea. So we kind of start building this like knowledge together. Um, 
And so I think that helps a lot too, because it's not just me, like, here's the grunt meter, here's what it does. So we kind of build it together. Um, and we actually like physically like build, a, like we build our grunt meters. Um, like we built like bottles and stuff to put in there that are different colors. Um, and so things like that, that we do together that help them construct that knowledge together mm-hmm. instead of me just like telling them. Um, because I think that's like one more, like one more adult telling them, you know, um, and then we talk a lot about empathy. That's the other thing, because then once we start talking about empathy, it's like, okay, well, that person's like brave enough to be honest with me, to be vulnerable with me. Like I should be honest and be truthful with them back. And like, I haven't in like my whole time teaching, I haven't had anyone, um, kind of like. I don't believe you. I've, I've like never had, the, had that response. Yeah. So, but I can see like what you're, what you're talking about. And I think it's that fact that like we build that knowledge together and everyone kind of like builds off of that the rest of the year and they end up in different places. Some, some people are like really just like insightful by the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and then some are just like, okay, I'm still like, like managing the dirty look across the room, like, you know, so it's, it's really interesting to see that. Do you see a difference between boys and girls? Oh yeah. (laughs) I mean, obviously there's vast differences, Mm -hmm. but do you see differences in the way that they can either pick up and kind of put in place and practice the, the idea of the grump meter and emotion? Um, yeah, I think definitely the boys have, uh, and like, I'm just generalizing, um, they definitely want like the privacy so with that portable calming kit, like they, I let them go out into the little like Kiva, the common area. Mm-hmm. So that way they're kind of separated from the class while they cool down or, you know, um, because I think that's something that they, they definitely value that more. Um, sometimes I have girls go out there. Um, but I definitely hear more from the girls, more of the, those statements that kind of show like, oh, they're noticing the emotions. Like, oh, I think, I think the student or like, I think Mina's upset because this happened at recess and now she's being really quiet. It's like, and so then I can kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll scoop up Mina and like, we'll talk. So then I can be like, Hey, do you need a break? And then like, they're usually like, yeah, I need a break. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes they just shoot themselves. They'll go straight to the calming corner, like after recess or something. Um, so it's definitely, I, I think they, they do a pretty good job picking up on it. And like when things happen, um, They'll be like, it's okay, it's okay. Like I had one, like one, like conference, circle conference. I forgot what they're called. <laughs> like a restorative circle, yeah. and um, one of the boys, like he was so like emotional, because like I think he he knew like oh I did do something wrong, and he knew that like he hurt the other people, and he like started crying, and it was all boys, and. One of the boys like put his arm around him. He's like, "It's okay, it's okay." And I was like, oh. "Like, oh my god!" <laughs> like, you guys are like making me cry. Um, and then kind of him being like, "Can we do this like another time when he can calm down?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, we can. We can reschedule this." So it, it it's ha- it happens, but it looks different with everyone. Yeah, but, yeah, it's really really cool to see that. Because I don't think adults do. <laughs> no, adults don't do that. Robin, do you have a? Like, do you ever have a child that you have to be almost kind of brutally blunt and honest with in regards to kind of the dynamics of certain things? Sure. Um, I'm 
I try to, the approach I use, I try to be pretty straightforward to begin with um, and clear because so many kids get mixed messages. They're very confused, uh, especially if they have been involved with a lot of trauma or chaos. Um, But me just saying that isn't enough. It's the modeling it. It's the following through. It's the reconnecting and reminding them, oh, do you remember when we talked about this and we said this? That's why we're doing this. And many kids need to be reminded every single time. Oh, that's why we're still here. (laughs) Yeah, that's why we're doing this again. Um, And then there are times when, not very often, but there are times when I'm really, really, really blunt about, you know, dangerous behaviors, choices kids are making. Mm -hmm. Do you find that, because I'm challenged by that all the time. Like I'm challenged in regard to honesty just in my own personal life, right? Because there's so many things that we think about and process. And then when we engage and interact with the world around us and relationships and our family and everything like that, to try to openly and honestly share those things and those thoughts and those experiences. And more importantly, like the way that you're really processing your emotion is very, very challenging because I think human nature in general with everybody, men, women, kids, parents, it doesn't matter what it is. We don't want to hurt anybody. We have this innate thing where we don't Mm -hmm. want to cause somebody else distress or harm. And you see that in kids all the time where they very much take that on, where they don't want to, upset their parents. They don't want to upset their teacher. Do you know what I mean? Even if they might hate that person or be really angry at that person, they still will hold on to that thing until it's almost like breaks them and then they lash out and then they throw it all out there. But how do you, I mean, it's just such a challenging thing to try to, cause you talk about modeling, right? And mm-hmm. I think it's a wonderful thing and I think it's very, very important, but yet how much, like, where's the balance? How much is too much modeling? Like, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to come to school in the morning and check in with the grump meter and tell the kids about your terrible night before and everything's horrible. And I'm so frustrated and angry and you have to find the balance in there some, some way. Right. And I don't know what it is. I don't know how you continually find that balance or if there's some sort of practice where you can, it's almost like you have to, uh, check in, you know, Mm -hmm. honest, where you're at honestly Mm -hmm. inside of your own space before you can then reflect that outwards. Well, and I think it goes to a balance too of, um, talking about balance of child initiated, uh, concerns or issues versus teacher, uh, directed or, um, you know, so you, so intuitively, that's part of the thing we grow over our time in teaching, um, we know we have a, a limit of time. <laughs> we don't get much time. And for me, I've got 400 kids at the school. So I know I've got, you know, about a 15-minute block of time to work with the student. How much do they need to know? What is relevant? Because my mind is, you know, going on all these things. Wow, you know, wandering all around. <laughs> but they don't need to know all that. What's relevant to them, their age, developmentally, from the perspective they're coming from, so if I can get to know their perspective and how they're viewing things, it helps me a lot. And then what I share personally, because I do share things personally sometimes, um, is when I see, you know, is going to be relevant to things that they bring, bring up. A lot of kids have shame about going up to red, which is the highest color on the grunt meter. It's explosion. 
And so when I pick up on, you know, the body language that certain kids are kind of shying away from talking about being on red, I'm never on red or denying it. So I will use an example of, hey, you know what? I was just on red last night. <laughs> really? What happened? And I'll just do a very brief, you know, and it depends on the group, you know, how much I'll tell, but the most a minute. <laughs> That's all they need to know. But um, so it's kind of a combination of, of seeing what's relevant for the children's interest and then sticking also to the skills that you're teaching um, and then developmentally appropriate for their age. What do they need to know? When, so we've talked a lot about the kids. Mm-hmm. And then we've touched on modeling. So one of the changes I've noticed this year is that the adults in the building are taking more responsibility for their own emotions. And um, an example, when you talk about balance, and they're supporting each other. At least, this, you know, people could tell me I'm up in the night because I'm the principal and I don't really know what's going on because no one tells me. <laughs> you just see but, what you want to see. Right. But... <laughs> observationally and from what I have been told, a perfect example of this balance is, you know, I can think of of at least one student in almost every class that's a trigger for that teacher, like a big trigger. Yeah. And um, I'm thinking specifically of your pod. And um, by po- we have four pods in our school, right? So mm-hmm. in Rose's pod is third and fourth grade. And then there's a fifth, sixth grade pod. And they actually did this this year as well. So there's a couple of kids that repeatedly they know your buttons and i'm not even saying they're intentionally doing it they probably want attention or they themselves just don't have strategies to not be impulsive or whatever but everybody kind of has that kid right and um it's been interesting because you know i'll get an email from a teacher that's like uh i'm up the grunt meter with blank i've sent him next door to ariel's class (laughs) And for a few, for an hour with work. Uh And I love that. Like I would so much rather a teacher own that I really can't do this student right now. And I don't want to say or do anything that would hurt that student or damage our relationship. So when you go back to that honesty piece, the teachers will just say, I'm up the grunt meter and I need a little break. So you're going to go to Miss Yazzie's class for a little bit with work. I love you. I value you, but we need a little space. And I think that is so Mm -hmm. amazing because the, rather than, get that look on your face like I really want to kill you and like you said that phony calling Mm -hmm. bullshit the student knows when you're done with him or her and by done I air quote that right need a break and so wouldn't it isn't it nicer to just be honest about that and say we're we're not getting along really well right now here's another space you can go while we both kind of reset and then the damn the relationship isn't done and that has been something this year like I'm getting chills thinking about it because I've seen every group of teachers do that for each other and um I'm just so grateful for it and they're the teacher's honesty the fact that they're not trying to paint a fake story for the student I think it has created conditions where the students are more willing to be honest like I need a break from you I was gonna say you have that really (laughs) smart kid that flips it and be like hey teach you're just driving me nuts today I gotta go next door (laughs) I mean maybe Rose can say more about that or even Robin but or or Robin will come someone will say I I really just need you Robin to come and get so-and-so for for 45 minutes Mm -hmm. and we're teaming together in that way to keep us calmer to keep the kids calmer and to really own and be accountable for our emotions. And so interestingly enough, one of our professional development 
um, sessions for this upcoming year is on teacher wellness. Uh, we have a university professor that's going to come and work with us on teacher and staff adult wellness when when you work in a situation that where there's so much demand for your emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you're totally fine. <laughs> okay, you're okay. Thank you. I did want to add a flip side to that kind of conversation too with the teacher and the student when the teacher needs a break is the teachers are also having those conversations with the students ahead of time. So when they know, uh, you know, we're kind of buttonheads here, aren't we? You know, where is a classroom you feel safe going that you can work, that you'll stay on task? Because uh, you are you still need to be learning. I don't want you to miss out on that. So the student has input on that too. And individualizing like that, you know, or finding maybe there's another place that's even better. People have been so creative in trying to find what works for you. Because what works for you is going to be very different than you, me, or anybody else. And those, that helps their relationship between the teacher and the child a lot. Um, so I'm going to take that, the, the, the whole thing you're talking about where every, every teacher has that student that really pushes their buttons. Right. And there's this concept and idea like in that space of spirituality and all this other kind of stuff that we talk about sometimes on the podcast, where if you encounter people like that, that challenge you and that do tend to push your buttons, there's a reason for it where they're mirroring something back to you. There's, there's some, do you know what I mean? Some hidden frequency of whatever Mm -hmm. reason may be that that one kid really, really does push your buttons and gets to you for some reason. Like, do you have, cause that's a really challenging thing, right? That's when you have to really go deep inside internally and look at, cause a lot of times it's not easy to see. Mm -hmm. You just see that kid that drives you nuts or, or that person, you know, that friend that you have or that, I mean, spouses are very, very common where they'll reflect those things and bring those things out for one another to kind of mm-hmm. flesh out and mirror back and forth. But have you, like, Rose, have you ever had a student like that and been able to kind of look and realize and dissect and figure out what it is about their their uh, behavior or their actions or the way that they do push your buttons that you can kind of connect with and, and see? Because when you see it, it allows you the opportunity. You get like more pieces of the puzzle, right? And then you kind of can really see it. And then it allows you, I think, to probably have a better understanding and a better way of then reaching and connecting with that kid. Um, so I think like the, the biggest, that was kind of the biggest obstacle um, and it happened, it was like right in the face, like the first week of school. Um, and the parent like warned me about it too. <laughs> um, so I did some home visits before the school year even started. And so this was a student, um, I went to his house before the school year started and mom was like, Hey, heads up. He kind of like, he says he's like breaking his legs broken or he'll say like, he's got like his eye is like something happened to his eye or, you know, and she's like, just, just a heads up. Like she's like the other teacher like told me about it too. So just a heads up. And I was like, okay, like whatever, like not a big deal. Right. And then sure enough, the first week of school, like I keep track of um, their iMessage papers. Mm-hmm. Like I read them, but then I also like track them cause I'm a big like dad or nerd. <laughs> um, and like within the first week of school, he had like 15 iMessages and like the other kids were like three. <laughs> and so it's like, Oh my God. <laughs> and so for, for me, that student was like really triggering. Um, just like the constant, like, okay, 
like, oh, Miss Yazzie, my arm's broken. Oh, Miss Yazzie, I got a headache. Like, so um, what we ended up figuring out, uh, the best place for him was in the room, in the classroom, but like in the calming corner. And so he would be in the calming corner and we ended up putting like Legos in there for him. So he could just like be in the corner by himself. And then I could like still work with other students. Um, but what ended up happening was like once I saw, oh, wow, like he's at 15. Um, I actually ended up, okay, like what exactly is it? Because by the end of the week, too, I was like, he has 15. What is this? <laughs> um, because I try to put a lot of like preventative things into my like practices and like those like relations. Like I was eating lunch with him. We do lunch bunches and right. And we eat breakfast like the whole school eats breakfast together um, with their teachers. And so I was like, okay, we're doing all these things, but this is still happening. Um, and then I've, I've vent- eventually kind of came to that like epiphany of like, well, the, like no matter like what I'm doing, like it's not working with him. So for me, that was like the big thing was like, like I'm not effective enough for this student. And I was like crying. I was like, Oh my God, what did I sign up for? Um, but then eventually realizing, well, like it is effective. Like I am helping him. He is like working out whatever he needs to work out on. Like mom did warn me (laughs) before school year started. And I think by the end of the school year too, like we still have like a really good relationship. And he kind of understood, like if I sent him out, like if he asked for a break and I asked him to go to the Kiva instead, he kind of like knew, oh, okay, you need a break for me. So that was that was kind of one of the reasons for building the portable calming kit was so like when I needed breaks from students, they could go outside because I think even sometimes like the office or the wellness center or those places for them were triggering too. So kind of navigating that um, while also making sure I was okay. <laughs> Robin, do you have to go? I do have to go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you thank so much. You. It's really been great being it. here. And it's awesome to work with these people <laughs> and do this work together. Yeah. Thank you. I was going to tell, I, I don't know how much longer we have, but I wanted to tell we're the fine. story of a, a teacher who came to that aha on, you know, I don't know if they're going to listen, his own. Uh, one day, I don't, and I hope I didn't tell this on the last podcast. This is one of my favorite stories. So on the last podcast, but one day this teacher literally barged into my room and said, I am at red on the grump meter. And keep in mind, this is a person that kind of poo-hooed the grump meter at the beginning when, when he first joined us, you know, and I just could not help but smile. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, is it red on the grunt meter? And I said, well, why? And he said, so-and-so student um, is doing this particular behavior and it's driving me crazy. And it, and, and it was, she wants to stand for the pledge. Okay. And, and it was a trigger for him. And anyway, so he's just kind of, he's like, I just had to walk away. He did the right thing. Right. He walked away, he got someone to watch his room and he walked away because he was really triggered. And, and then he started to describe, you know, she's so stubborn and she just says whatever she wants. And, and I said, and I was just looking at him like this and I said, well, who does she remind you of? And he goes, me, she's just like me. <laughs> and we just, then he started laughing and I started laughing and I said, yeah, she's just like you. And that was an interesting moment for him to be like, oh, wow. She's That's opinionated. It, yeah. She's stubborn. She's outspoken, and so is he. And so they. It was just a cute little story. Yeah. That's that's what it is. A lot of time, right? Mm-hmm. Where they they'll have some personality trait or something like that that will remind you of yourself if you can look at it from the outside. It's always easy for people to see it. Do you know what I mean? My wife and I have that same thing where one of my daughters is very very much like me. So 
we do really, really good most of the time, but then we do have those moments where we just explode in chaos because we're both always <laughs> right and we're, you know, she's never going to listen to me. It's it's really comical when you look at it from the outside. In the middle of it, it sucks and it drives me nuts. Um, but I think that's really, really common. You're talking about the kid who, you know, is always not complaining about somebody. He's always got an issue. He's always got a problem, right? He's kind of seeking attention. Mm -hmm. And he's also probably creating drama to a certain extent when there isn't any drama. Because my guess is that that's probably like some aspect of it that's calming for him, for him right? When you exist in chaos or even what seemingly might not be chaos and, and then you come to school and you don't have it, then you have to create it <laughs> in order to make yourself more comfortable. So I have another question and we can talk forever in a day, but this whole thing that you guys are doing here at the school in regards to the grunt meter and all these different approaches and all these different techniques and all these different ways of trying, it's vastly different than the education system probably over the past 40, 50, 60 years. And I'm sure there's proponents on both sides, right? We could probably have another podcast where I talk to somebody else that said, this is all bullshit and we're supposed to be doing stuff this way. But I think there's a, um, there's a thing in culture right now or in society where people think that we have swung too far to the other end of the spectrum where so like kids all get trophies for participation and we're going to have a kindergarten graduation and then we're going to have a third grade graduation and then we're going to have a fifth grade graduation and then even, you know what I mean? All these things that we're doing now with kids in order to try to get them to have positive outlooks about who they are as people and all this kind of stuff. So what we've been talking about, I think could fall into that category depending upon your point of view. I don't think it's, I don't think it's in the same category at all, but people's perspective of maybe we're just being too loving and too gentle and too kind and kids, yes, have to understand their emotions, but at the same time, they just need to shut up and do what they're told. And there's a certain aspect of moving through life where, sorry, life's hard and it's difficult. And school's a great way to learn that where your teacher, <laughs> you know, you have to sit at your desk and do what you're told. So how do you guys, first off, do you think that, and maybe look at what you're doing and I don't agree with, I, I don't think this at all, but it never hurts to kind of question what you're doing. Do you think there's any aspect of what you've implemented and what you're working towards that may swing too far to that side of the spectrum where, yes, it's important for kids to, um, it's important for everybody to have connection with their emotion and with their hearts and the ability to process it. But do you ever think that maybe there's a point where, because I think it's also important for kids to sometimes realize that they just need to move through life. Like, not that it doesn't matter what they feel. It always matters what they feel, but the rest of the world isn't going to take that into consideration. And so they have to kind of internalize it, not in a terrible detrimental way where they're going to bury emotion, but you kind of have to just breathe through whatever you're doing. Right. And it's challenging and it's hard. So, so is there, do you guys ever feel like maybe you do swing to that other end of the spectrum where we're just coddling kids too much and they really just need to buck up a little bit and move on? Do you know what I mean? I don't think you are. <laughs> I'm not calling you out in any way, shape, or form. But like I said, I don't ever think it hurts to kind of look at what you're doing. So I'll answer briefly, and then I'd love to hear what you have to say. Because I have had that feedback that we've spent too much time on emotions and everything else. And my, I've always been a quantum thinker, both and. There's room for both, you know, both what you're talking about, buck up and move on, and your emotions are important. And so my 
response to people has been that when you're implementing something new, you do tend to swing kind of far to one side. Um, but that, I, that, that the purpose isn't to stay there. The purpose is to, because in, in order to really change your mindset and change your practice, you have to kind of see, steep yourself in it for a little while to undo our own thinking and habits and create space for this new way of really viewing kids, which isn't sit down and shut up. I mean, that is a harmful way to treat a child. At the same time, having 15 I statements in one week is a little too many. So mm -hmm. we have to find that balance. So my response is yes, when you implement something new, you tend to go a little far to one side. It's not our intention to stay there. It, the intention is to find that balance between, yes, we are a school and we need to teach and we need our students to be proficient and to be able to, you know, master core concepts. But we also need to recognize that they're also people inside of those little bodies with souls and feelings and triggers and issues. And so the perfect day will be when we come to find that balance. And I think we're getting closer to that. So, um, so I think one of the, like it traditionally has been that like sit down, shut up, nobody gets a trophy unless you win. Um, so when you think about like third graders getting handcuffed and like getting arrested at school, um, or those different experiences, like I've gone through those myself, um, and so I think what we're doing here is super important because it kind of lays that groundwork for for then me as a teacher to ask them to perf like to do these rigorous things. Like we're we're not just talking about emotions all day. Like we are definitely like they're writing like paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs. They're doing all these scientific investigations, and we're going outside and they work on the school garden. <laughs> that that was. Uh, <laughs> um, that was some intense work on in the garden. <laughs> um, but they're doing these like rigorous things. And it's because they know that like emotionally and like they're getting taken care of that way. And so then when I ask them to do these things, they're like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll try it. Like I'm willing to be vulnerable to try it. Or like when we start talking about different things, because um, I definitely don't teach science. I think the way everyone else teaches science, um, I like to incorporate like indigenous knowledges or like these different like views on science. And so when we do those things and that like critical thinking is like a huge thing to ask of like 10 year olds, when we do those things, they're like, oh, that makes sense. Because we've spent all this time like valuing each other, valuing like the human aspects of each other. So those conversations happen a lot easier. Like they're, it's, it's really just like fascinating because I, I research curriculum is my like main thing. Um, but I've kind of driven off on this like teacher relationships because you can't just have this like rigorous curriculum, like sit down, learn this without having those relationships. It's they go hand in hand, I think. For sure. There's a book out by John Hattie. He's done several versions of it that measures the that measure the effect size of certain practices in education on students and student teacher relationship has about a 0.6 effect size, but the one that has the highest in terms of relationships is teacher credibility. And it has like a 0.9 something, um, effect size. And I feel like that embodies both the relationship piece and the student seeing you as a credible, viable adult in their life that you, you are there cause you want to be that you're going to have their back, that you're going to be able to teach them 
that you're going to show up for them every day. And so when we talk about this balance of um, addressing emotions, it's interesting because some of the kids will come with things from home, but there are school triggers. I mean, math and writing are two Mm -hmm. huge school triggers. We have children who literally shut down completely when it's math time. So it's not just something that we're talking about, oh, what happened last night? Or, you know, did you have a a bad weekend, it's, I can see by the look on your face that you, that you are frozen right now. And this is about content and about learning. So those same skills apply. And my biggest pet peeve is when teachers call kids lazy, you know, they're not working, they're lazy. And I'm, I just go right up the grump meter. Cause I say, no, they're not lazy. They're either experiencing some kind of emotion related to the content, or they've been what do you call that? They've become disengaged from school because of certain things that are happening. They're not, they're not lazy. Kids are not inherently lazy. They learn to detach and to, to shut down because of certain things. And I'm kind of off on a tangent, but that's part of what we're doing here as well is I can see that you having to write this three paragraph essay is killing you. And let's work through this together because obviously to be successful in school, you got to learn how to write it. Well, I think, you know, that example of when they shut down, whether it's reading or writing, some something that they struggle with, right? Then it's going to go all the way back to shame. Like there's some mm-hmm. aspect of mm-hmm. it where they feel shame mm-hmm. because they feel like they're not good enough because they do struggle in that area. And how are other people going to see them and view them? And then, so, I mean, even in that example, I mean, it's really, like you said, I mean, it's still the same. You can still apply the same techniques. You can still use the same process of connecting and working with them, but it's going to be really challenging for them to see like shame is so hard to to understand, especially as a child, right? Mm -hmm. Where somebody shuts down when it comes to reading or math because they feel like they're not good enough and they feel like they are stupid. And you know what I mean? In the ways that it all plays out and is intertwined and connected and things like that. I'm going to challenge you guys a little bit. Um, and this is like, take this for what it's worth by all means in no way, shape or form. And I, I'm not a teacher. I'm not an, obviously. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that some of the things that you can do that would help kids, because at the beginning we talked about how do we give them skill sets to where they can take some of these ideas and move throughout the rest of their life. Right. And so I think at the end of the day, as kids get older, so like you teach, you said fourth grade. Mm -hmm. So I think fourth grade is a great age. I think they're prob- probably plenty old enough at that point in fourth and fifth and sixth grade. You guys go up to sixth grade here. I think starting to uh, teach some sort of curriculum in regards to the way that the brain works. And if kids really understood that their brains are always continually developing, even into their late teens and early 20s, then I think that would help them understand kind of, do you know what I mean, that they're not stuck this way. I think sometimes kids, especially when they struggle with emotion where they feel like they're stuck and they're, I'm always going to be this way and I'm always going to be stupid or whatever the case may be. The fact is their brain's always going to develop and grow. So if you could, like, I'm not going to change your curriculum, but do you know, just expand outside of what we normally, so if we are talking about or teaching kids about the grunt meter, um, maybe incorporate that into the kids that are older where they can start to understand some of the deeper um connections that are happening in their brains and things like that because of their emotion, because they are all intertwined. And then also I think anytime you can teach somebody something, you're going to retain it so much more and you're going to learn it so much more. And so finding ways, whether it's encouraging them to go home and teach their parents or to teach their brothers and sisters or having older kids go in and teach younger kids about some of the different aspects of the grunt meter, you know what I mean? Or sharing like, 
that video that you um, that the boys created and made mm-hmm. up. I'm sure you shared that with your class, but mm-hmm. did, did you take it outside and share it with other you know other grades or other classes in the same grade level or something like that? Because mm-hmm. then it gives them the opportunity to, like I said, I mean, you guys know that as education, you know, anytime you can teach a topic, it's going you're going to retain it so much more. And so, and that's going to help kids connect with emotion even more and all that kind of jazz. And, but I'll get off my soapbox. Well, and that's like one of the, I guess that's like my, like my goal, I guess. Um, I can't even remember the article name or who wrote it or even where I read it. Um, but there was this, like, uh, this text talking about this, um, this like second grader that went home and when she was at her home, she saw her mom. Like, visibly, she could tell her mom was, like, getting anxious and just, like, going up the grunt meter. And she was like, Mom, let's do some deep breathing. (laughs) And it was written from, like, the mom's point of view. And she was like, I was worried about getting food on the table. I was worried about, like, the light. I was worried about this, this. And then my daughter just came up to me and said, let's do some deep breathing. And her she taught her mom how to do the deep breathing that she had, like, learned in school. And the mom, like, it, she goes on in her point of view. She's like... Holy crap. <laughs> how how is my kid like teaching me this? And I'm sure that the daughter at that time was like, okay, I need to do something to help. What do I do to help? And that was like the first thing she went to, so like that she obviously like internalized that. So I think what you were saying is like can be really powerful and that's definitely something I'm striving for here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that goes back to maybe even the beginning of the conversation where we want to now more consciously do that piece of the work. Um, Our assistant principal said something interesting to me the other day. You know, he was kind of, it was a little bit like what you were saying. Well, it's so great that the kids have emotions, yada, yada, but are we really letting them know they have a different choice with, with, so, and I can't remember his exact example, but, oh, I know what he said. He said, so, so, and I said, well, give me an example. You know, I need, I'm always a context person. And he said, well, so let's say I'm a kid who, just before my dad hits me, he yells at me. So anytime I hear someone yelling, I'm triggered, right? And so let's say um, my response when my dad does that is I, you know, later hurt someone else or whatever. And his point was, it's great for our kids to know they have a trigger, the trigger is yelling, they go up the grump meter, and but that they have a different choice. And that the that the person yelling at school might be someone down the hallway, that that's not the same situation and you have different choices in different situations and that empowerment piece of, okay, so this is my trigger and I can do something different in this moment than I've done in the past, which goes back to that brain development. And that's even available to us adults. Yes. And that's part of the work is, yeah, I, this is a trigger for me, whether it be that student or something at home or whatever. And now that I'm aware of that, I have a chance to do something different. I can deep breathe. I can do some deep breathing. I can take a walk. I can leave my classroom and come downstairs so that I don't do something that I regret. And same for kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think our brains are ever done developing. Never. Do you know what I mean? Even even though like science will tell us and that it's always, you know, kids, like I said, late teens, early 20s, even up into their mid-20s, their brains are still growing and developing. I don't think it ever stops. Well, they, they change. We can rewire things. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, ladies. Thank you. I very, very, very much appreciate it. We'll have your contact information like we did before. Um, I can get your email and whatnot, Rose, so if people ever have questions or follow up or anything like that, you can reach out and all that kind of jazz. And do you guys have anything else you want to throw out before we wrap up? <laughs> Love more. There you go. Love more. <laughs> Everybody deserves it and needs it. That's what I would say. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much. And everybody go out and have a beautiful, 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 wonderful day. Thank you. That person's like brave enough to be honest with me, to be vulnerable with me. Like I should be honest and be truthful with them back. If someone looks at you funny across the room, this is something you can manage on your own. So many kids get mixed messages. They're very confused, uh, especially if they have been involved with a lot of trauma or chaos. We also need to recognize that they're also people inside of those little bodies with souls and feelings and triggers and issues. And so the perfect day will be when we come to find that balance. And I think we're getting closer to that.